Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Friday, June 26th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Give them a follow on Twitter at Yingling Beer. It has now been 107 days since the Flyers last played a hockey game. Of course, that was on March 10th. Uh, the season that has been paused for now 107 days is now just two weeks away from resuming in one sense that they'll go back to training camp, mandatory training camp, uh, coming up two weeks from this uh, day, this Friday. So uh, that's on the horizon. It'll be two weeks of camp, it looks like, uh, for the NHL teams at their home facilities, then off to a hub city where they will have another six or seven days of camp, including it looks like two exhibition games uh, in that week as well. And then they'll begin the, uh, the best of five play-in tournament for the teams that are not top four seeded in each conference and for the Flyers who are a top four seed in each conference of course they will play a round robin with the other top three teams and uh, that will determine playoff seeding in the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Flyers in a great position because they can only move up not move down as the number four seed so playing with nothing to lose no pressure great situation uh, for the orange and black of course the three teams that they're facing uh, the Boston Bruins, who were the top team in the NHL, the President's Trophy winner as the uh, regular season uh, team with the most amount of points. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the second uh, most points in the Eastern Conference, and the Washington Capitals, who sit just one point ahead of the Philadelphia Flyers. So things eking closer and closer uh, to coming to fruition here. Phase two still underway. Uh, you have these... Uh, Optional skates, if you will, at the training facilities. Lots of players heading back into town, including Nate Thompson coming back into town for the Flyers. And to shed some light on that, the Hockey Hall of Fame and a lot more. Our guest here on Flyers Daily, we haven't talked to him this week, but a good time to speak with him right now is the one and only Bill Meltzer. And he joins us now. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing great. We're getting closer and closer and closer to uh, phase three and uh from what we're hearing you know the some big announcements might be right around the corner in terms you know when uh timetables might be and then like honing in on uh you know when the hub cities might be so you know it's good it feels like feels like hockey's getting close here yeah the temperatures in all over the country are warming up uh yet hockey's getting closer it's kind of odd uh, in a lot of ways but we'll take it considering the sport was taken from us, uh, and every sport really taken from us way back when, 107 days ago. I mentioned that right off the hop, Bill. Um, man, can you believe it's been 107 days? I mean, this is now approaching the average offseason time for a team that doesn't make the playoffs. Truthfully, sometimes it feels like it's been ages since since that game against Boston and, you know, when they, when they paused the place in, in Tampa Bay. And then on times it you know it's like wow 107 days it's it you know it's crazy it's crazy to fathom because as you said that's about the length of an off season you almost be going into uh your September camps at this point and you know we're still in the same season and, and as part of this whole thing um actually as we're, we're recording this yesterday was the anniversary when they, the Flyers traded for Tyler Pitlick you know so it uh it, it's funny that's you know already a year ago today but that, that's what we're looking at here with uh you know when the uh, postseason would start and obviously the offseason was pushed back so players such as Tyler would be impending for agents that'll be pushed back too but it just it just shows how uh you know it just shows how long we've been going here yeah no question about it Bill you know it's funny because you know Facebook is this like way of reminding you uh what day of the week it is a lot of times right by these things called facebook memories and i get this memory that pops up on my facebook i guess it was it was yesterday and uh i, I was working at the uh at wip at the time 
in 2011. And I said, the Flyers just made their first round draft choice. It's a kid named Sean Couturier. Hopefully he plays in the league rather soon. Little did I know that uh, just a few months later, Sean Couturier would make the team out of camp in his rookie year. And nine years later, he turned into uh, what may be a Selkie winner this season and a, a tremendous 200 foot hockey player, a great young man, a husband, soon to be father. Other than that, not much going on. But what a, what a start to a career. And on that day, uh, nine years ago yesterday, I wrote that little blurb, not knowing anything to come, but they got a really good one in that draft. <laughs> oh, well, absolutely. That was a, that was a good draft that year in general and had, you know, it's funny how things work out sometimes because if uh, Coots hadn't had uh, mono that year, he, he went into the year as the consensus number one pick and had he not been sick and missed significant time, he may still have gone first in that draft and wouldn't have, wouldn't have fallen a few spots and never would have been a flyer. So it's funny how those things, you know, end up, end up working. And obviously the, uh, those, the, uh, the, blockbuster trades that were made that day the one with columbus which not only brought couturier here but also brought uh, voracek in that same trade you know for for uh, jeff carter and then the the pieces that came from la for mike richards that same day and it's it's, it's wild to think that that's been, it's been nine years yeah and, and you know it's funny because you know a couple days prior on my facebook memories it was talking about that exact thing what a wild day you know i, I remember seeing the facebook memory from a couple days prior and i said you know, late June, and the Flyers are on the front page of the of the newspaper. <laughs> you know, be, because they yeah. dealt away Richards and Carter in the same day in separate trades, and ultimately they ended up together. But wow, what what a time that was uh, for the Flyers! And and just think about the players that left and the players that came and the tenure they had in both locations. Like Jake Voracek, obviously has been here now nine years. Katuria been here nine years. You look at Wayne Simmons was here until last year at the deadline. It's amazing. Uh, Carter's still going in L.A. Richards has been out for a couple of years and kind of ended his career in not the finest of fashions, if you will. His game dropped yeah. off and some other issues, but uh, tr- just a tremendous day in hockey history for the Flyers. No, I was going to say that, and uh, I, I had the uh, a couple of years ago on the on Flyers website. Um, you know, I I talked to Paul Holmgren, and we spent about half an hour, forty five minutes, and he was talking about how how it all went down, and. and Actually, it was, I believe, Columbus had interest in both players. And then when the deal with L.A., because that was the first one to go down, and then uh, uh, Scott Housen was getting nervous about, um, you know, uh, about is, is the is he not going to get any deal done? So he, he called Homer immediately. He said, are you ready to trade? And uh, that was, you know, that's, that was the point where Housen was ready to pull the trigger because he was afraid nothing was going to happen. And that's, a, you know, L.A. obviously they they, uh, they won their two Stanley Cups. Um, the Flyers got the to me they got the better of both both ends of the trade. And the fact that the Flyers haven't won a cup since then had nothing to do with those trades. Or those were you know a variety of other things that have come into play since that time. But if you look at the two individual trades, particularly the Columbus one, the Flyers got you know the better end of both of those. It was really it was really Columbus that ended up on the short end of that because they all they got out of was Jack Johnson. So it's. Uh, Kind of funny looking back. I mean, I think at least two of the three teams involved in all of that would would do it all over again if they had to. But it's um, yeah, it's just it's just crazy how much that one day shaped the next number of years for for the Flyers. And that was also the same day, you know, the Flyers signed Ilya Brzezgalov to that big contract. And obviously that one didn't work out. But just so many big things went down, boom, 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 in that one day. And it was, um, you know, it was uh, it was wild. And, and I remember being in, in a state of disbelief when it all went down. So, 
yeah, it's funny to look back at all that. Yeah, and obviously uh, another part of that was uh, another name as a part of that with Ilya Gabrizgalov eventually was the loss of Sergei Bobrovsky. So <laughs> everything kind of, uh, it, it, it's what a wild time that was uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, much tamer times now as we wait through a pandemic, right? Um, hey, Bill, I, I want to get into some Hockey Hall of Fame discussion with you, but first I want to hit the, the hub cities. Cause I, I had assumed and through some uh, reporting uh, that, that I was reading while I was down the shore this week, that we were going to get a Hub City announcement probably uh, yesterday on Thursday. We did not get that. There was a snag in Vancouver. It was looking like that maybe Vancouver and Vegas were ticketed to be the places. Vancouver is now, according to Pierre Lebrun, officially out of the mix. Um, is one of the reasons why Vancouver was removed because there was a threshold of, of if there's a certain and a low number of positive tests that they would have to put things back on pause, and that's not the NHL's plan? I believe so. You know, I, I believe it, it was it was totally tied into to those specific sets of issues. Um, and, and from you know, at least at least earlier, it, it wasn't in Vancouver. It's 100% out of the running, but the focus shifted more towards Edmonton or, or Toronto. But but uh, once you know once it shifts that late in the game, it's usually you know usually headed someplace else. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Vegas has been rumored for a long time, for a long time. And also, like Toronto had the the inside edge, but just the fact that you know we're at this stage of the game, as you said, it was rumored to be coming earlier this week. So there was definitely definitely a snag there, and that was that was probably the issue with Vancouver. So uh, you no, know, one set locked been in. as low as, as one test. Could, is that conceivable that one test would have shut it down in Vancouver, or is would it is the threshold much more forgiving than even that? I, I think it's a, at least a little bit more forgiving than that, but I, I think if there was a situation similar to what happened in, in Tampa Bay where you had a couple of staff members as well as a couple of players, that that could be sufficient to, you know, all, I mean, all it takes is one team dropping out, then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're looking at a really ominous situation. Um, I mean, uh, I think a lot of us were scared when the news came out of uh, Tampa, uh, a week ago, thankfully, things have been pretty quiet on that front. And also, there's 11 players over over the course of phase two, which, I mean, uh, you know, 11 league wide is um, it, it's a test to see, uh, okay, you know, does, does it spread further? How do they contain? How do they quarantine? You know, is, is the testing working? I mean, all the all those things are things are going to need to answer. It's going to be also ongoing into phase three as well when you get entire teams together. So you know. Uh, we're all hoping, obviously, that, that everything snaps into place. I, I do think the fact that um, uh, they, they, the facility in Tampa Bay is, was reopened, I believe, today. So that's, uh, that's a positive sign that they were able to identify, quarantine the people involved, you know, move on forward. So that, was, uh, that to me, was a, a hopeful sign, and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully it continues moving in a positive direction. But I, I don't think it's... Um, so I don't think one test necessarily would would ruin the whole thing, but I but I do think that the threat again if you have another situation such as Tampa, uh, you know, the, I mean, Florida's been Florida's a hot spot state. You also have the Panthers there as well, and they're also going to be involved in the postseason. So there's still there's still certainly hurdles to clear, um, and obviously with the the public health authorities in, in each locale, they're looking at that's part of the equation as well. I think that the NHL really wants to try to get this in if they possibly can. Yeah, and the, and the thing is too, I think people, I think this is important to note. Um, I, the league expected positive tests in phase two, and 
the reason that is is because obviously a lot of these players hadn't been tested prior. Uh, now they're into sort of a protocol, if you will, in phase two, although it's optional. But the goal of that and the reason why phase two is so important is to identify positive tests in phase two so that when you get into phase three and then phase four, the environment is clean. Uh, they're, like I saw a lot of people saying on social media, and I don't think they understood it completely, saying 11 positive tests, shut it down. Well, to me, that's being a little close-minded in the sense that they're not in the controlled bubble yet. <laughs> the bubble has not been secured with presumably all healthy people that have been tested and vetted to get inside the bubble. Um, so I think people need to realize that. Um, and, you know, numbers are going up in a lot of areas. And whether that's because of more testing or the virus spreading or a combination of both is a debate for a different program. But I think that's important to note that the league is going to look. Once the bubble gets formed, is there going to be a positive test? I think there probably will be. I think there may be there, there is some kind of threshold. I'm not sure what it is. Um, and I don't know that the league's going to be transparent. Are they going to be like, you know, an average of two players, three players per team? I, I don't know. They're expanding these rosters for a reason because they think that if a player does test positive, they may lose them for a couple of weeks and they are expanding these rosters to have some flexibility with more players there available. So I think it's just important to know. I just wanted to mention that. Um, Bill, the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, announced their 2020 class, and then they're not probably not going to go in in 2020 unless uh, things change rapidly. Uh, they could delay it like the NFL did to 2021. But I thought it was a really interesting class. Uh, Ken Holland gets in in the builder category, certainly deserve, very deserving. 22 years uh, as the GM making the playoffs. That won some cups in there, three of them, I believe. Um, certainly deserves to get in. Marion Hosa, as a first-time selection, gets in. I wasn't too keen on a, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame selection for Marion Hosa, but I'm okay with him getting in. Again, was a no-brainer of no-brainers. Yeah. Tremendous player, meant so much to the game. Um, Kim St. Pierre, absolutely deserving uh, with uh, two, two gold medals, three world championships, tremendous uh, goaltender for Team Canada. Uh, but Doug Wilson and Kevin Logan in. And last year, Guy Carboneau gets in. Now, all of these players got in after 20 plus years of eligibility. And my issue is with a guy, when a guy like Alexander McGillney doesn't get in and some other players who played much more recently, um, why do all of a sudden guys like Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson and Guy Carboneau get in? I'm not saying they're not deserving, but why does it take 20 years? And d do we know that Doug Wilson the year before had 10 votes, but didn't have enough to get in? I, I, we don't have any transparency with here with the hockey hall of fame. And I think I'm asking for it, but I don't think I'm going to get it because they're a private organization. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's ever going to be the case. I, I, I think that, you know, in a lot of these cases, it takes somebody on the committee who beats the drum for, you know, quite often more than one year. Uh, I know even though it's not, you know, even though it's never public information that when, when Mike Emmerich was on the selection committee year after year after year, he would say, why is Mark Howe not on the hockey hall of fame and he would make the case that uh you know not just not just being a three-time norris finalist and first time three-time norris runner-up actually top runner and a top top defenseman for a decade in the nhl but uh you know he had the unique the whole unique story that he was a 16 year old olympian beyond being gordy's son he was the wha's all-time leading playoff scorer switched to defense at 25 and was a star defenseman why is this guy not in hall of fame and then it took a number of years for him to, you know, for that to take some hold and, and build up 
enough votes to get him in, um, you know, and also, also you know, take, take the case of Fred Shiro, who was long since, you know, long since passed away by the time Freddie was finally posthumously put in the Hall of Fame as a builder. And to me, that was just criminal that he wasn't in. But it yeah. took, uh, you know, it, it took some years to build up the number of votes. And, uh, and I think, um, you know, I think in the case of, uh, I think in the case of Wilson, um, you know, you're talking about a really good defenseman for a real long time. I, I don't think it's a travesty that he's in. You know, he's maybe, you know, maybe he wasn't that Ray Bork category, but he was a really good defenseman for a really long time. And Kevin Lowe, the, you know, the number of cups that he won playing tough minutes. I mean, there have to be, has to be some guys who, you know, who start in the defensive zone and, and don't have the puck a lot. There's only one puck to go around. And he was a, a critical part. Now was, you know, with the hall of fame, you know, was Kevin Lowe, a guy you go, Oh, how is this guy not in the hall? Maybe not necessarily, but I mean, there are, there are guys in that committee, uh, like, like Yari Curry, for example, is on the hall of fame selection. committee. well, you know, he played with them, you know, and so he beat the drum for him and, and he just, you know, that, that, that tends to be what happens is that there are guys on the committee who coached with him, coached against him, were teammates with the guy, uh, said in Doc's case was, was a broadcaster who saw the, you know, the, uh, a lot of the, the prime of a guy's career and they, you know, they, they build their case and it, it builds over time. You know, we could take a baseball example too. Look how long it took Rich Ashburn to get in. It's not like his numbers changed over the years, but that's how, but that's how guys who don't get in immediately tend to tend to build a case sometimes later on. Well, I'm assuming that Igor Larianov, who's on the voting committee that he didn't join the zoom call to beat the drum enough for a guy like Alexander McGillney, who was the first guy to defect, uh, was a captain in this league uh, yeah. had a tremendous career. I just don't understand it for the life of me. I should have I had Bob Clark on the other day. I should have asked Bob about it because <laughs> he's on the committee as yeah. well. And yeah. he needs to be beating the drum for a couple of flyers that we'll get to in a moment. But um, I just find it, I find it odd, you know, and there's, I'm not saying any of those players are not deserving. I just would like a, a little bit more transparency. I mean, Kevin Lowe's the eighth player from that team. Yeah. That Edmonton team that won five yes. cups in seven years to get in. I mean, you got, I mean, you got Curry, Gretzky, um, you know, Messier. Uh, I mean, you got Grant Hall of Fuhr. Famers, Paul sure. Coffey, Grant yeah. Fuhrer, who just got yeah. in a, a couple of years ago. So I understand it, but um, and a lot of people look at that and they go, "How can eight? How can eight players go into the Hall of Fame from one team? If you were the eighth best player, you shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame." Well, that team was that great. <laughs> That's the thing, uh, Bill. When, when you look at it though, right now, and um, you look at the Hall of Fame. I've always believed, and there was, there was a lot of momentum for a guy like Rod Brindamore, who's a, a former flyer, uh, spent a large amount of his career here, won a cup in Carolina, coaching now there as well and having success in that regard. Um, but but players that either were with the Flyers for a significant amount of time, like Rod Brindamore, or that, that should get into the Hall of Fame, Jeremy Roenick may be another guy that sh- should get in, in my opinion, one of the great American-born players. Um, uh, guys that played for the Flyers that, that aren't in, that should be in and maybe even a guy that's on the team right now could end up there uh, with a little bit more meat left on the bone here in his career in Claude Giroux. Yeah. I mean, uh, Giroux still has a few kicks of the can left here before we figure his numbers would, would drop off. But he, I mean, if Giroux were to win a cup, uh, I mean, that's, that still carries weight with voters too, fairly or unfairly. You know, it's, um, you know, uh, you, you can go back and forth on the, on the Cups argument because it does take an entire team to win. And if your team is missing one, one element, that's not, you know, it's not your fault. And look at the, you know, the Flyers were a goalie short, you know, in, in the 90s, um, just as an example. So, you know, it's, um, 
I mean, I can see both sides of that, but but when you have when you have postseason success, and then and then there are sometimes the the automatic numbers that get a guy in. Like again, here was over 600 goals. He was a, he was a no brainer to go in. Um, yeah, if you're looking at some guys from Flyers history, to me, uh, you know, I and, and I I understand also the argument against you don't want a lowest common denominator. If a guy got in, he was questionable. Why put in another guy? But to me. If, if Cam Neely is in, why is Tim Kerr not in? You know, Tim yeah. Kerr had a, had all those fifty goal seasons. Was you know was uh, was the quintessential power forward of, of the you know the eighties, just in terms of his ability to park himself in front of the net, score, and he was he was he was a goal scoring machine. And you know, Tim Kerr was the guy. Honestly, Reggie Leach has a similar case. He only had the two big seasons. That seventy six goal year. You know, he had that one Roger Maris kind of year, and then he had another 50-goal year. And his first year with the Flyers, he won the Cup and scored 45. So, you know, is that enough, even though he had some ups, you know, a lot of ups and downs? And uh, Some people make a case for Brian. Um, you know, proper five-time NHL All-Star, played in five Stanley Cup finals, although he, you know, unfortunately wasn't on the winning side of, of any of those five finals. But that's still, um, that's still a lot of team success that he had, a lot of individual success. I wish I understood a little bit more uh, about the criteria because I think I think the committee's criteria are probably all over the place, you know, as to who they consider and who and what they consider. So, you know, it, it is one of those it is one of those mysteries. And yeah, it, to me, it's it's frustrating to not have the transparency, but uh, um, yeah. I, I guess I'm just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> it's, it's really what it comes down to. Um, the, the other thing I'll never understand. Uh, for the life of me, when it comes to the Hockey Hall of Fame, is um, the amount of the, the not the amount of the lack of goaltenders that seem to get into the the NHL Hall of Fame. You know, I look at it, and to me, it's the most important position, not only in hockey, but it's the most important position in sports. Because unlike a unlike a quarterback, the goalie does not leave the field of play um, at all. Um, therefore, you know, a quarterback in the NFL. His defense takes the field, and he takes a seat. The goaltender does not do that. It's a different sport. I get it. They're both important. Um, but, uh, you know, Rogie Vachon gets in a couple of years ago. Marty Brodora, that was a that was a no-brainer. But uh, there's a lot of goalies out there that are certainly worthy. When I look at guys like, you know, it, w- whether that's Curtis Joseph, where, you know, some of these goalies that, that, that are not in the hall. And, uh, you know, I think they need somebody there kind of beating, beating the drum for them as well. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see somebody there beating the drum for the goaltender. And, uh, you know, it's easy to put in a guy like Marty Brodeur or Patrick Waugh or, or, or Dominic Hasek. I think more people need to beat the drum for the goaltenders. Uh, as far as I can see, the only, the only goaltender that was on is on there is the chair in John Davidson. Um, I would think that he would uh, swing a little bit more weight. A guy like Mike Richter could get some consideration. He's part of ending a, a huge drought in New York. One... In, ter- in that international tournament and in the, in the, the Canada Cup, or I mean, or you know, I mean, when you look at his resume, he could be a guy that you could make the case for at some point. Um, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but overall, I mean, he's got some big accomplishments on his uh, on his um, resume as well. But we'll see how it plays out uh, with when they're going to have the Hall of Fame induction ceremony uh, and the big celebration that goes along with it. If that in- will in fact happen in November, or if they'll move that uh, to 2021 later when uh, perhaps it's more conducive to do so. Bill, as always, this is a lot of fun. We're getting closer, man. We're two weeks away from uh, mandatory training camp, and uh, hopefully uh, nothing goes – everything continues to go off without a snag, and 
anything that does happen is manageable, and we'll, and we'll take it from there. So we'll see how it goes, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, once once these things snap in place, you know, uh, at some point it's going to feel like things are are starting to move quickly after it felt like they weren't moving at all. That's how that's usually how it goes once you have the dates. And before you know it, we'll be watching games and breaking down games, wins and losses, and who you're going to match up against, and all of those uh, very interesting uh, conversations. We'll have those at the appropriate time. In the meantime, Bill, thanks for doing this. Oh, always a pleasure. Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily, which, as always, is brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Hey, Philly fans, grab a cold Yingling and elevate your taste because this isn't just a beer. It's a lager. It's time to spread your wings with Yingling Traditional Lager. Give them a follow on Twitter at Yingling Beer. If you didn't have a chance to check out uh, Wednesday's episode of Flyers Daily, uh, a lot in that episode, including a lengthy interview with Flyers legend Bobby Clark, the uh, Bob Clark joined me uh, for a candid conversation on a lot of different subjects, including uh, the integrity of the Stanley Cup this year in a year with uh, COVID-19 and the Pandemic Cup, uh, that and much more. A very interesting conversation with the Flyers legend. So if you missed that on uh, Wednesday's episode, go back and check that out. Also on Monday, if you missed it, Matt Niskanen, Flyers defenseman, the only Stanley Cup champion on the team, uh, also stopped by for a visit here on Flyers Daily and a great conversation there as well. And as always, you can always check out any of the past episodes. We've had a lot of players on, including Kevin Hayes last week and many others throughout the pause. So uh, feel free to go back and check them out. Make sure you subscribe to Flyers Daily and get your uh, next episode in your inbox whenever it's uh, ready for you, which is every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at this time as we await the NHL's return. Flyers Daily brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Follow them on Twitter at Yingling Beer. We'll talk to you Monday on an all-new episode of Flyers Daily. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Stay healthy, and we'll talk to you next time.